Hey, my friends, my tribe, welcome to the Mind Body Musings podcast. Today we have on a very, very special guest, Dr. Kelly Brogan. She is a Manhattan based holistic women's health psychiatrist, author of the international and New York best selling book, A Mind of Your Own, and co editor of the landmark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She completed her psychiatric training and fellowship at NYU Medical Center after graduating from Cornell University Medical College and has a BS from MIT in Systems Neuroscience. She is board certified in psychiatry, psychosomatic medicine, and integrative holistic medicine, and is specialized in a root cause resolution approach to psychiatric syndromes and symptoms. Can you tell that I'm reading this bio so much slower because the words are so much bigger? She is on the board of Green Med Info, Functional Medicine University, Pathways to Family Wellness, NYS Perinatal Association, Price Potinger Nutrition Foundation, the peer-reviewed and indexed journal Alternative Therapies in Health and Medicine. She is a medical director for Fearless Parent and a founding member of Health Freedom Action. She is a mother of two. I can say that sentence. Y'all, Dr. Kelly Brogan, as I mentioned, wrote A Mind of Your Own. If you have not read this book, I am like, whoa, I am so strongly recommending you go to Amazon right now, pronto, this minute, click buy now with one link and get that book in your hands. Kindle, two-day shipping, whatever it is, get this book. It's phenomenal. It's science-based. There is an ample amount of research in this book to the mind, body, spirit connection and this beautiful connection between mood and food. So today's episode is a brief one. It's 30 minutes of jam-packed information. I hope you love it. It's easily digestible. So you can get all of these beautiful nuggets of wisdom from Dr. Kelly Brogan in a pretty quick amount of time, but that does not mean that the learning should end here. And that is why I'm strongly recommending you get her book. But you also go to the links that we mention in this show. We talk about this free symptom checker that she has made for you so you can see what kind of psychiatric pretenders you may be having in your body. We'll get into this more later. And there is one more resource that she mentions and that is her course, Calm Body, Clear Mind. And you do not want to miss out on that either. The show sponsor for today is Audible. If you have not yet signed up for your free audiobook and your free 30-day trial of Audible, you can go to audibletrial.com slash mindbodymusings, get her book, get any other book that I've ever mentioned that Audible has to listen to for free. And check out Audible. It's great. You can listen on the go. You can listen at the gym. You can pretty much be, quote, reading a book at any time of the day, doing whatever it is that you do. You don't even need to sit down and focus on it. Look at us being multitasking humans addicted to stimulation. Okay. Anyways, this is an amazing episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's go head on over now. (laughs) 
You are now entering the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you find yourself hungry for growth, eager for inspiration, and longing for self-improvement, welcome home. Hosted by motivational speaker and life coach Maddie Moon, you can be certain you will learn how to change your life in magical ways in each and every episode. Are you ready to stop caring what other people think? Is it time you break limiting beliefs and empower your whole being? Do you know how to use the one life you've been given to the absolute fullest? Join Maddie Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life-altering discussions on freedom, vulnerability, abundance, and so much more. For more insight, grab your free gift on MaddieMoon.com and uncover your own once-in-a-lifetime greatness within. If you have kind words to say, feel free to leave a review on the show in iTunes or send your favorite episode to a friend. We look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways. And now, without further ado, here's your host. Maddie Moon. And by popular request, we have on New York Times best-selling author Dr. Kelly Brogan here on the podcast today to talk with us about the food and mood connection. It is such a pleasure to have you here with us on the Mind Body Musings podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. You have absolutely been someone that I have had recommended to come on to this podcast for years now. And I remember seeing your book here and there. And I finally was like, you know what? This book just feels like it continues to pop up in my life. I need to pick it up. I need to read it. And um, I've been reading it over the past several months. And I've just fallen in love with your writing and your research and just how you do all of the you go really in depth in the research to make sure that everything you are sharing has its sources and it's accountable and it makes sense also for people who are not science-minded to be able to understand it. Yeah, it's one of the great discoveries of, you know, sort of this second uh, incarnation, so to speak, of my career, you know, because I took a a very sharp left turn uh, from conventional medicine almost a decade ago. And, you know, I know that, in the end, healing is it's not about science, right? In the end, the randomized placebo-controlled trials that are out there uh, with their statistical power or lack thereof is not actually about you and your, you know, your health reclamation. Uh, however, there is some fascinating science out there, and, and nobody is putting a microphone to it. And it tells such an elegant and powerful story about how, you know, the natural world and and lifestyle medicine that invokes it is is here to to correct you know so many of the things that that ail us and in in ways far more radical than we've been told is possible. Mm, yeah, I want to hear a bit more about this um, this reincarnation. I want to hear a little yeah. bit about your background and your story and how you got so interested in learning about this food mood connection uh, separately from or how you evolved into it from coming from the more traditional background in in science and the medical industry. Yeah, so so I was raised um, second generation. Uh, my mom is uh, an Italian uh, immigrant, and I think anyone who has you know come to America, embraced the vision of America, you know we we have this this notion that that we are here to to prove that it was all worth it, right? So you got to become a doctor or a lawyer and get straight A's and you know, listen to authority and stay in line. And so, you know, I, um, I never questioned much of, much of anything uh, and, and went to, 
you know, college and studied neuroscience. Um, actually, at that time, too, I worked a suicide hotline. Uh, I, I was mm -hmm. at MIT for college, and there is a significant and unabating um, issue with completed suicides at MIT. And so I was sort of like left with this impression that we've cracked the code, you know, to human behavior, and we just need to get people more access to more treatment. And, you know, I learned about psychiatry um, around that time. And I said, well, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. I'm going to become a doctor and I'm going to, you know, help people with their struggles and, and suffering. And so it, you know, I was so much a believer in the pill-based model, uh, very sort of turned on by a lot of the mechanisms in biology and, and the seeming, uh, mastery, you know, the illusion, uh, that, that it's all there already. And you just have to, you know, learn it and study it and memorize it and then execute it. Um, so, so like so many doctors who have left the fold, so to speak, um, we do so when we personally experience the felt limitations of the allopathic model. And short of that, there's no incentive to ever question anything that you're learning. But you don't have time. You don't have the emotional bandwidth. I mean, you know, medical school and internship and fellowship is an exercise in learn helplessness. You know, and, and the best you can do is is survive it. I mean, it's really quite a traumatic experience um, for me and, and, and is for so many. And it almost has like a militaristic uh, flavor to it of indoctrination. You know, so you, so you learn only one story. You learn the story that we're born uh, sometimes with a bad lot of genes and those bad genes manifest at a certain point and then you gotta manage the symptoms with dutiful compliance to medication. And so I, you know, only questioned any of that because I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition postpartum, my first pregnancy. Um, I had the experience of having a natural birth, which I only had because I studied obstetrical science and I saw that every intervention that I was being you know, offered by um, my obstetrician at the time was not evidence-based. I mean, obstetrics is you know, probably only second to psychiatry in being um, really just like a shadow of uh, validated medical field, you know, less than 30% of what goes on in obstetrics has any valid evidence base. Uh, it's, it's pretty concerning. So, so I had a natural birth simply because of that, you know, not because I was some kind of hippie or, you know, wanted to have like some earth mama experience. And that, uh, you know, just sort of played a part in, in awakening me to my own power. Um, and so it sort of wasn't until about nine months postpartum confronting my own first diagnosis and a lifetime of a prescription that I was like, hmm, I'd like to know where the escape hatch is. <laughs> you know, like it's fine for my patients to take medications for the rest of their lives, but I really don't want to do that. It doesn't feel good. Uh, so it was because of that, that I, I sought out the, the counsel of a Manhattan based naturopath, um, and put my condition into reversal in black and white on paper through lifestyle changes, primarily dietary. And it made me not only a believer, but actually ignited a rageful fire within me, you know, that I'd never been told anything about the relevance of nutrition to chronic illness. I'd never been told that autoimmune conditions could be put into remission. Um, and I, you know, I sort of went to the back to the books, you know, I've always been comfortable with, with science and statistics and on, on pubmed.gov. And I, I just decided to teach myself what else I hadn't been told about all of the sacred cows of 
conventional medicine, you know, statins and birth control and vaccines and antibiotics and, of course, um, psychiatric medications, which I had been prescribing not only, you know, to thousands of people at that point through my training, but specifically, believe it or not, to pregnant and breastfeeding women. That was, I was one of the first 300 in the world to specialize in, in medicating uh, pregnant and breastfeeding women. That's how much I believed in, in the pill-based model. So all of that really came, uh, you know, sort of crashing down around the same time and gave, gave birth, uh, no pun intended, to this new, new phase for me where I took from my own experience of radical healing and I began to apply that to my patients. I also read a book called Anatomy of an Epidemic at that time by Robert Whitaker, which changed my life um, and compelled me to never start a patient on medication again, and I, and I never have. And because of that, um, I began to learn a lot and gain expertise in the addictive nature of these medications and how to apply skillful means to uh, tapering people off of them. And that's now you know, one of my great passions in life is to afford people the opportunity um, to heal the root cause of their symptoms of anxiety, depression, or, or you know, cognitive um, issues and, and to give them an opportunity to live a medication and actually disease label free life. This may sound like a simple question, and it probably is, but it's something that I've wondered often, and it comes down to depression and how how do you know if you are in a state of depression? Because I feel that a lot of people think depression is this really huge warning sign of all colors are lost in your life and you're just like, it's like traumatic and it's the depths and depths and depths of darkness. Though I get the feeling more people are in these states and they just start to normalize it and think that it's just average, like life is just kind of uh, humdrum and that's just the way that it is. So what are some ways that people can know if they're in this state of depression? Well, one of the first myths that we have to bust is that depression is a disease, right? So we know, like you said, that that there's something significant going on when somebody is diagnosed with the label major depressive disorder, right? That must be a really big deal. They must have like a knife to their wrist every day or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but we also all have been largely through direct-to-consumer advertising conditioned to understand that depression itself is a pathological entity that it's anything that has any of the characteristics of something like diabetes or cancer or heart disease, right? Um, that it's a disease that's diagnosable through some verifiable means, and then it follows a predictable course, and there's really nothing you can do but manage the symptoms. We also have been conditioned to believe that it's something that runs in families, uh, and that it has anything to do with brain chemistry and balance. All of those things are lies. Okay, mm. I'm just going to cut straight to the point. You know, I, I wrote, as you mentioned, a multi-hundred page book with many hundreds of references um, to, to, you know, enrich the statement I just made. But, but that's the truth. It's all, you know, smoke in mirrors. And what we're left with is that depression is something like a fever, right? It's an experience that you have uh, of the body mind, spirits, efforts to get your attention because recalibration is in order, right? So when you have a fever, something's going on inside, right? There is some kind of trigger and that could be of, uh, you know, myriad different varieties, right? We don't, we don't know. We just know 
that the body is trying to rebalance against a perceived threat or stressor. Well, it's helpful to think of depression that way because it is a, a way in which we are alerted to a mismatch with our environment, a mismatch with our lifestyle. Uh, actually, researchers um, who, who think about depression this way call it an evolutionary mismatch. The ways in which we fall out of alignment with the expected exposures, uh, be they nutritional, movement, sunlight, an absence of toxicant exposures, a certain kind of relationship to community, uh, you know, the, the, the ways in which we um, identify a sense of, of being meaningful, having a reason to be here. You know, the, the, when these things begin to be strained, or let's say the, the tethers pop, um, we, we need an indication that we have fallen out of alignment with the way we are supposed to uh, experience this life as human beings. And so the drivers can be, can vary from, you know, a, a diet induced B12 deficiency all the way to a spiritual emergence, you know, mm -hmm. and how do you know what's, what's driving it? You know, you don't, that's where your journey begins is personalizing the message that you're getting. So what you said is, is, is very powerful, which is that we have been so led astray. We've so left the path that we don't even know that we are living wrongly, right? So it's that missing is any sense that anything is missing. That's dangerous, right? That's, that's where we have entire swaths of the human population that are asleep, right? Just, just moving through life as empty vessel automatons, pump, you know, punching the clock on Monday and, and punching out on Friday. Yeah. We have a sense that that is not right. And we call that sense anxiety. We call that, that sense ADHD. We call that sense depression. Um, however you want to, you know, sort of seemingly legitimize it through the medical system of ICD-10 diagnostic labels, odds are you're not going to find through that system a real way out. And, you know, my more spiritual philosophical belief is that it's because you're saying no uh, to your own felt experience. It's like turning off the smoke alarm instead of putting out the fire. You turn off the smoke alarm, you manage your symptoms, the fire is still raging and eventually it will get to a point where you feel consumed by it. Um, that's my bias, that I don't believe there, there can be an experience of wholeness as a human being through the medication model. However, it makes total sense why someone would opt for that, right? Because they feel that something is just not quite right. You, you know when something is missing from your life. You know when um, you're in survival mode. What do most of us do? We smoke cigarettes. We drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. You know, we become addicted to our work. We are, you know, sex addicts. We, you know, have, have sometimes even more dramatic expressions of our intense desire to manage the felt wrongness. But a good number of us get caught in the medical system because we believe that doctors are here to help us feel better, you know, and to provide a way out. So it, it all makes sense that we have gotten to this point. It's just that now, you know, you and I are having conversations like this that are being shared with others who are curious and open or who are maybe just desperate. Um, and we're all feeling the bankruptcy of the current model. We know that there's more to the story. It's just a matter of plugging into an expanded exposure to the truth, 
than perhaps has come to us through authorities and mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And I love this conversation for so many reasons. One of them in particular is that a lot of the work that I do is around the feminine and the masculine energies within ourselves. And when we get anxious, a lot of times that masculine energy says, well, just push through it, like stay focused, stay self-oriented, get your goals yeah. accomplished. And we override those. That's right. The, we, yeah, we override those inner um warning singles signals saying something needs to stop something needs to slow down something is out of place so with breath you can start to heal that by slowing down and like listening to what your intuition is actually saying breathing letting your body get rid of stale energy and bring in the new and that's helping you to center but then there is this food piece and personally (laughs) I've gone in and out through years of like diving super intense into food learning all the things about food and then saying like fuck it I'm exhausted like learning about all the food I'm just gonna eat all the food I want to (laughs) eat and then I can get back into this state where I'm so like personally I'm so into the what can I do with my breath what can I do with my body what can I do with dance to heal this anxiety that I feel but we cannot ignore this in this crucial piece around food and that's what brought me back to your your book as I've I've been feeling like all right I'm doing all these beautiful things and my anxiety is so much better than it was years ago but there is this food piece of like what's happening in my gut that I cannot see or that I cannot know about and I can't just dance it through what's happening in there because oftentimes I think I'm eating just exactly the way I should be eating. My food's not affecting me, but it certainly is. It certainly is. You can you can go very far with breath and with movement and with dance and with surrendering and your intuition, but there is that extra layer that is so, so crucial. And I would say probably, you know, from your book, even more important is that food piece. It is our self-healing mechanism. Right, and it's our greatest um, evolutionary connection to the natural world. It's literally the way that we exchange energy with nature, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the power of nutrition to heal, I think, is so, you know, we're, we've been encouraged to, to regard it as like a window dressing, right? Like it's, or, or sort of like an 80-20 or there's like a, you know, there's a good yeah. enough and, and that's all valid because we need to be very careful. I love that you brought up the masculine and feminine. We need to be very careful not to masculinize this process and to turn our, our dietary arena into some sort of battlefield. Because mm. if, you're, if your fight or flight is active um, during your healing process, it's going to be much prolonged, trust me. So, so reframing um, your diet as a sacred relationship to the natural world and as a means within which you can communicate to your body about the safety that you're cultivating in your life is a very different orientation, right? And it does allow for there to be, um, you know, just sort of a loosening of rigidity. My dietary approach is really not that crazy. It's not, you know, it, it, it does not hold a candle to FODMAPs or GAPS diet or autoimmune paleo diet or, you know, it's, it's really quite permissive. And I think that one of the reasons that we have so many radical, even history-making outcomes that I have an entire team of clinical volunteers simply devoted to publishing these cases because I've never read them in the medical history um, that I've reviewed. Um, I think the reason that we get these outcomes you know, through, through the book and through my online program and, of course, through my practice is simply because 
I ask for a very high level of commitment, right? So almost an uncomfortable level of commitment to as close to a 360 degree um, signaling of safety to your body, mind, and spirit as we can cultivate in a month's time, right? So if, if the path is all about slowly and sequentially turning over all of the places that you are asleep, right? Um, then why don't we just start guns blazing, right? And, and, and just commit to a meditation practice, which is in my approach, three minutes a day, every day, no excuses, you know, no cheating every day. Then it's um, a detox practice because most of the people that I work with are on medications or, you know, are otherwise, you know, pretty significantly ill, let's say. Uh, and so I learned about the notorious, now I'm notorious for this, uh, coffee enema from my um, mentor, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, who I'll mention a little bit more about in a second. And then it's the food piece, right? Uh, but a, a critical ingredient to those three pillars is the foundation of mindset. So I have come to appreciate that mindset and belief is the single um, most non-negotiable element of healing. And when you embrace a protocol like this, or when you embrace a new healing practice, if you're thinking of it as something that you should do, or like, Maybe it'll just like make you feel like less of a schlub if you meditate a couple minutes a day or whatever versus being the portal to a more authentic version of yourself, uh, then your outcomes are going to reflect that, right? So obviously what I'm here to do, I believe, is to create a, a, an entire you know, religion, let's say, around faith in the capacity for radical healing and a deeper understanding around the meaning of all this, that you know, illness and struggle is not just random badness that happens to you, that gets in the way of your otherwise like, you know, life that's humming along, right? That there is, there's deep personal significance to all of this, and that the people who often struggle, I believe, with quote unquote mental illnesses, uh, are those who I believe hold the heart, like the beating heart of our society. Right, so 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 you feel more than than the rest of us, and and when you're liberated from the conditions of misalignment in your life, then you get in touch with your gift, right? So you you know you might be a psychic medium, you know you might be an artist, you might be a healer or some kind of visionary, um, and our society really doesn't know how to work with people who have those kinds of gifts, and so we try to shove their their circular selves into square holes and tell them to be productive members of society and behave, right? Stop feeling, it's, it's mm. uncomfortable for the rest of us, right? And, and so that's how much of what's at stake needs to come into your consciousness. Like this is, this is a big deal, this is a big prescription. And so the, the food piece then comes into a rubric where we are constructing um, the conditions for your emergence. And the food piece, you know, I work a lot in spiritual communities and yoga communities, and I have a lot of yoga teachers as patients, and I could see over and over and over again their desire to bypass the physical body. And that's, that's so much um, ingrained in us, you know, through denominational religion, right? The body is gross and sinful, and God and the angels and heaven are up there, out there, right? But I think many of us are beginning to come to a deeper understanding of 
you know, animism and, and this idea that the body actually is, is quite a sacred vessel and has, a, has an innate wisdom that we can never even pretend to approximate through um, the buttons and levers model of mechanical allopathic medicine. And so, so I think that that's, you know, it's an important thing to just n not allow those blind spots to exist, right? And so if you're somebody who loves to meditate but think, thinks that you can meditate your bagels and pizza away, <laughs> you know, that's, and if it's working for you, please, like, be my guest. But odds are it's yeah. going to catch up with you because it's a blind spot in your consciousness. And I think we all are, are, are endeavoring to bring a level of mindful consciousness to every single thing that we do. Uh, and to stop lying to ourselves. We know, right? We know when we're cheating ourselves. And there are many reasons why programs were running from childhood, et cetera. Many reasons why we might not feel we're worthy of, of coming fully into ourselves. Um, but that's why I love this month-long protocol because it's like a way to not even have to get that deep into the waters of examining your childhood programming and just committing to simple steps that can begin to liberate energy you know, that otherwise was consumed with your bloating and your brain fog and your insomnia, <laughs> begin to liberate energy so that you can start to have the strength to actually look at the places where you've been like wincing away, you know, turn over all those stones you thought you'd get away with never addressing, um, whether it's relationships or your job or the house that you're living in, you know, your marriage, um, and, and it's just almost impossible, I think, to start there. So we want to start with setting a sound foundation for your physical health. And that, to me, is like the low-hanging fruit, like, you know, reversing the symptoms of hypothyroidism or blood sugar instability or nutrient deficiency, beginning to look at medications that might be driving your symptoms that nobody ever told you could drive symptoms, let's say, of anxiety or depression. Uh, and, and let's begin there because it's the, the easiest place to start. Wow, you just like, with what you were talking about with the medications and people being given medication because the world doesn't know how to handle their immense yeah. capacity to feel. It freaks yeah. people out. Like I right. I feel like I know so many people that as children were told that. And so yeah. as five-year-olds, they learned, oh, it's bad if I see things other people don't see or I feel things other people don't feel or I That's say right. something that grown-ups say. So let me stop saying that, turn that off. And then parents hearing that their kids are acting different than the other kids and that they should really be on this new up and coming medication. And that's right. wow, I feel that so many people listening to this are going to relate because at one point or another, I certainly was pressured as a kid to be on medication that I was told that I needed it. And um, I always said, no, I said, no, like as a kid saying to grownups, no, this is not for me. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And it was very it was very confusing for me. I second guessed my happiness a lot and it, it led into anxiety and depression because I was told so much. Right. I had it and eventually I got to a point where I was like, well, do I trust myself? Do I trust what they're saying? And then I didn't know what happiness was and then I turned off everything and then That's, eventually, yeah, it was just, oh, it's, yeah. it's just. It's a cascade. It's a domino effect. I mean, messy. yeah, I mean, you couldn't be preaching to the choir anymore. I just actually published a children's book with my daughter, um, who was seven at the time that we wrote it, it literally took that long to get this thing published, um, called A Time for Rain. And we, you know, we wrote it together because we were talking about this issue of, of 
children, you know, she was in public school at the time, and, and of children being basically in, in, enculturated to believe that their, their feelings are a problem, right? Like how many well-intentioned parents say things like, stop crying? Oh, yeah. You know how dangerous that is? Mm-hmm. Like not, not just for that child, for us as a society mm-hmm. that is like, that is like 911 level parenting problem. And, and, and you know, it's a totally forgivable, you know, unconscious parenting moment because it's all we know is that it's uncomfortable and scary for all of us to encounter intense feelings, you know, and, and I, I work a lot with suicidality. Um, in fact, I recently published um, a blog on the subject, you know, how to help someone who is suicidal. And a big part of it is don't freak out, right? So, 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 so when we project our fears onto other people's intense emotions, everyone loses. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a failure on all of our parts. And so a big, you know, sort of secondary agenda I have is to just begin to have the conversation as, you know, a culture for how do we make room as a collective for breakdown? How do we make room for struggle yes. and suffering? You know, when we have a diagnostic and statistical manual guiding treatment interventions that just remove the bereavement clause saying that if in, you know, two months time, you're not over the loss of your beloved partner or child, you're a candidate for Zoloft. Like this is literally the messaging mm. we are all swimming in and we don't even realize it, right? So we need to begin to at least look at how wrong that feels on a soul level um, and to begin to have conversations that I, I think champion and celebrate people who have had the audacity uh, to, to reclaim their, their vitality by saying no, you know, to conventional medicine. And, and that's a big part of my mission is just making, you know, I have a wall of videos of people who are, are no longer psychiatric patients who don't take meds, who don't identify. And these people were pretty, were pretty far down the rabbit hole of psychiatry, you know. Um, and it's totally possible. And, and people need to know that. I was talking, I think on my, like, I think it was my last podcast or the one before that I was saying, one of the most simplest places you can start if you're wanting to help change this conversation around having, making room for a breakdown. I love the way that you put that. Um, it's just when people say I'm having an emotional day, you don't say I'm sorry in response uh, to that. It's such yeah. an easy thing. As someone says, I'm feeling really emotional. You don't say, oh, I'm sorry. That's terrible. Like, right. no, it's not right. terrible. How about just, like, tell me more? Tell yeah. me more. I'm here for you. Do you want to talk yeah. about it? Like, there's so many other ways where we can make room for Thank that you. conversation. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so obviously your book is jam-packed with information. I love that. I especially love the beginning around the the stats that you shared on how many people are on antidepressants and how many different types of quote disorders are um, prescribed antidepressants for and anxiety mm. medications that have nothing to do with anxiety. It's incredible. Like it's amazing. It's it's mind blowing and it makes you just get so motivated to change your ways. So I'm just letting everyone know this. If you want to get really deep into this, if you are on medication, you want to look at your diet, you want to look at your spiritual life, the practices, you ha- your environment that you have, this book, um, A Mind of Your Own, absolutely get it. With that said, I know that you have other resources and programs that they can look further into. Can you share some of those with us? 
Sure. And we'll make sure that you, you know, you have these. Um, yes. I am constantly trying to eliminate excuses for people because I know how much resistance there is in this arena. And it, you know, it's, it's powerful um, to, to remain stuck, especially when the symptoms that you're struggling with are a motivation and brain fog and fatigue, right? Uh, <laughs> however, you will get to a point of where it just doesn't work anymore. Uh, to, to wear the mask and and where you're ready. And so I want to make sure, you know, that the tools are available. So we actually just launched um, a free tool called the Symptom Checker where you can, you know, answer some really simple questions that will help you to, to know whether you have one of these physiologic imbalances that are highly reversible that could lead you to believe that you have a mental illness. So, you know, for example, um, whether or not you have a thyroid imbalance that you're treating with Zoloft or something like that. So um, that's one of one of the tools that we have. We have a ton, ton, ton of free material on our uh, platform, and of course, we have I think the only uh, community of its type online through through the program um, that we created called Vital Mind Reset, where you know you come to really begin the next chapter of your life, and it's the oper operationalized um, protocol in the book. It's the same one that's in the book and, and all over my website. Um, however, a primary difference is that it's done in community. So it's a step-by-step -step guide. And the community piece I have found is part of the wound that we are all struggling with. You know, it's part of what's missing. And so the folks in this particular community are all geared towards um, radical, you know, reclamation of, of their health and um, yeah. So if it's, if it speaks to you, then, then we're here. Amazing. I will have all of those links to your programs, your courses, your Facebook group, everything on the show notes for this. Everyone, you can just go to maddiemooncom slash Kelly dash Brogan. This is episode 223 of the mind body musings podcast. And wow, I'm just so grateful for being able to spend these 30 minutes with you just diving deep into all of this knowledge and wisdom and finding this beautiful middle ground of the work that I'm doing with the feminine and the masculine work that you're doing with that as well as um, yeah. just the the mind and the body and the spirit and um, treating our vessels as the pure beautiful containers that they are for our souls so that we can go out and do our work in this world free from these inhibitors that are pulling us down because the clearer and purer our vessels are, the more in touch we are with that purpose. We're not focusing on, on how just to stay awake during the day. We can actually get out there and focus on what we want to build and create in this world because our health is taken care of. So thank you so much for all this beautiful work you're doing in the world. Oh, amen. I couldn't have said it better. I love that. Thank you. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to let us know what your thoughts are, you can go over to Instagram, my website, or you can leave a review on the iTunes show. We'll see you next week. 